Hola, queridas, queridos. Welcome back to the Beam and Flow podcast, a nitty-gritty exploration of your body, energy, awareness, movement, and flow. I am your host, Chloe Copresi. Here we go. Enjoy the show. Okay, so this week I am very excited because we have my friend Stephanie on the show. Stephanie is also a uh, certified lymphatic drainage artist by Beam and Flow. So if you are in the New Jersey area and you're looking for a doula who also knows how to do lymphatic drainage, Stephanie is your woman. Okay, so this week, we talk with Stephanie about what her birth experience was like and how it radically transformed her life, about how becoming a doula has changed her understanding of what birth can actually be like. Um, Stephanie shares her tips for preparing for pregnancy and birth, even before conception. Um, we talk about what the difference is between a midwife and a doula. And and as we've been getting into this whole season, and we're going to keep getting into the, the lies we have been sold as women in the United States. So uh, I'm really excited about this episode, and I'm we're going to dive in right now. Definitely one you want to share with your friends. So here we go. So I wanted to have you on the show because we're this season we're talking all about women's bodies and our hormones and the different stages of womanhood. And I really wanted to hear from you about your birth experience because I know you personally and I know how much it has fundamentally changed you, not just even being a mother, but that experience, how much that changed your life. Um, and so I just, I want to open, open it with, can you tell us what were you, what did you think your birth experience was going to be like? And what was it actually like? Oh, yes. Um, thank you for asking. And I'm glad to share. I actually haven't really shared my experience. Um, previously, I was interviewed recently um, on a birth series, and it's going to be the first time that it's going to be in the platform. And this will probably, whichever comes out first, will probably be the first time that the public will hear my birth experience. And um, so I thought it was going to be very um, straightforward, like going to the hospital, if at most, um, get an epidural and ta-da, baby's here, right? And it completely turned out to be different than that. You know, it went from my water breaking prior to labor starting um, and then being pressured into going into the hospital to labor um, after I wanted, initially I wanted to labor at home. You know, that was my initial plan to labor at home as much as I could and then go to the hospital afterwards. But due to doctor recommendations and just me not knowing any better, I um, took that advice and went straight to the hospital where I was probably one or two centimeters dilated when I got there. I was, con you know, the contractions were happening on their own at that point. And then um, I got advised to have my labor augmented um, via synthetic oxytocin, which is known as Pitocin in the birth world. And, you know, the reason behind it was because my water had been, my waters had been released for probably 12 hours at that point or around that, around that. And, um, the doctor just brought up a lot of fear, you know, brought up a lot of like, um, risk of infection and this can happen and this can happen. So, you know, I am going to start your Pitocin. Those were her words. Not even I recommend or let's do this. It was just like, I'm going to start you on Pitocin. And of course, me being a first time mom, it's like, okay, let's do it, baby. I want the baby to be safe. You know, you hear infection and you're like, what? Okay, whatever we have to do. And then, <clears throat> you know, I basically went down the rabbit hole from there. It was like, or the cascade of interventions, I should say. You know, it became Pitocin, contractions went from zero to 100. I was probably like three to four centimeters at that point. And then um, um, I ended up getting the epidural afterwards. I was like begging for it after hours of that Pitocin. And um, after I got the epidural, probably like four hours later, 
I was able to finally relax, you know, and just hang out. And I remember thinking like, this is kind of odd. I'm in labor and I'm just like chilling here. Like I'm not feeling a thing, you know, like, am I really in labor? Like, this is kind of weird. And, um, you know, that was in the morning when I got to the hospital, then in mid afternoon, doctor comes in. She's like, well, from the rate of everything's going, it looks like, you know, you'll be delivering by 1am. You're like, okay. Um, so midnight comes around and I'm fully dilated and it's time to start pushing. And, um, the OB comes in, the obstetrician comes in and she's like, okay, well, you know, um, she instructs me on how she wants me to push. And then she gets me pushing the whole time. She has her hand inside of me, inside of my vagina. And I'm telling her like, can you please get your hands outside of me? Like it's really bothering me. It was like more her hand than anything else that I was feeling. Um, but she was like, no, I have to feel how you're pushing. And I'm thinking like, okay, this is the way things are. Like, this is how it goes. Right. I have no one there to tell me like, Hey, you're being violated right now. Um, so after a while, my baby's heart rate started going like really crazy and pushing maybe like 45 minutes at this point. And then she just tells me that I need to go to have a cesarean because my baby is not tolerating, um, the second stage of birth, which is the pushing stage. So, you know, a whole mix of emotions. Um, of course I was crying, but yeah, that's how my birth ended. You know, ended up being a cesarean delivery after like being, um, talked to by the doctor, the nurses, you know, all the recommendations and a lot of fear that they were also putting into me. Now that I am in the birth world and I'm a birth doula, I know that there could have been some other options I could have explored before heading down to the OR right away. And um, also knowing that, you know, all of those interventions really are what led me to that cesarean delivery, um, which was pretty traumatic for me. I was totally afraid of having a cesarean. And when my fear came true, it was like such um, like a shocker. You know, it was there was so much to take in at one shot. And recovery was pretty hard. The delivery itself was hard. You know, I couldn't bond with my child right after like the immediate skin to skin. So there was a lot of work that I did around my birth afterwards to heal. You know, after a couple of months when I realized that I still wasn't well, I started looking into like healing therapy and just finding my own way. And I started learning a lot about birth and all the interventions that are being used on so many women and how <clears throat> most of the times these interventions can do more harm than good. So I went down that rabbit hole and then eventually I went for my doula certification. And now I've been doing doula work for three years, going on four. And yeah, I am, I totally love the birth world and supporting women and helping women educate themselves about birth and, you know, their choices. So I'm, I'm curious, there's so much to unpack in your story and thank you first of all for sharing um and it's a really unfortunately common common story for women in the united states even more so for latina women black women women of color Mm -hmm. it's um birth is viewed as a problem to be fixed and that's why they create all these interventions and 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 it's viewed as a business there's the the hospitals uh birth is treated in the in the states not only as problem like that something that needs to be fixed but um and that's why you have all the interventions but it's also viewed as a business like the hospitals are there to make a profit and um, they, the more that they can bill insurance, the more money that they make and the more patients they can see, the more they can bill insurance. So there is a system in place designed to get you laboring quickly and so hard that you do end up needing quote unquote a cesarean. Why? Because they can charge more for cesarean and they're quicker. So 
um, that it's a pipeline that is in place and everything about your story checks off what happens to so many women. When you said the, um, OB didn't even give you the option for Pitocin. It's just, I'm going to start you on Pitocin. Um, like women don't realize they have the option to say no. They don't know that they can advocate for themselves. Um, and unfortunately, if, if you don't know that you're going into a system that is stacked against you at every corner, what should be a powerful transformative experience becomes mm. an experience of trauma for, mm. for you, for the baby, um, for, for the family. Right. So, um, I, I'm curious as to what, what you thought it was going to be like, had you had any, like, did you, was hospital birth common in your family? Did anyone talk to you about what it was going to be like? What, what was your, Mm. your picture of the landscape going into it? Mm, That is so good. And, you know, I think that really makes a huge impact on the choices that women make in regards to where they choose to birth. And for me, it was so real and so true that all the women in my family from my grandmother was the last like home birther and forward have all been hospital births. Right. So it was like, there wasn't like another option that was talked about. Right. And home birth was kind of looked like medieval. Like if we didn't do it be- back then because you know, the women didn't have a choice, but actually basically, so they had to birth at home and it was almost looked at like unsafe, you know? So for me and my family and the women surrounding me, it was all hospital birth. And, you know, also what they shared with me was their own fears around birth, how painful it is, you know, how, and I remember specifically uh, a female in my family said to me, I don't know, I was embarrassed about something at one point during pregnancy. And she was like, you're going to lose all of that embarrassment when labor comes, like they'll be sticking so many fingers up your vagina that, you know, you'll just, at the end of it, you'll be open to whatever. And I was just like, oh my God. So this was my impression of birth, you know? So I go forward to the hospital and of course the nurse is checking me, the doctor's checking and I am so okay with it because, you know, I've also have been passed on this knowledge, quote unquote, from other female figures in my life, right? Who unfortunately, they were probably also passed on that knowledge, right? So yeah, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it it does. And I think uh, the, even pointing to the, the lineage of it, right? Like your grandmother was the last one to have a home birth. So if you think back to the time of when that was, we're, we're talking, so your mom, your DPs, your, your sisters, like we're moving away from midwifery right at that point. Like yes. that's when there was a huge push, another huge push, uh, to take midwifery away from generally speaking, women of color who were practicing and bring mm-hmm. it into white male dominated spaces in quote unquote proper medicine. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and the pill comes out right around that time. So now we have messages on both fronts hitting women like, oh, um, here, here's this little pill that's going to solve because now your period's a problem and being fertile is a problem. So here's this little pill that's going to solve everything. Um, never mind that it's killing women, giving them strokes, giving them blood clots. And they haven't changed the science, by the way, of how, how hormonal birth control works since it came out. So women were dying then, they're still dying now. But that's the message that we receive is the problem. Here's a little pill to solve. Oh, your natural experience of childbirth, that's primitive. That's you could mm-hmm. die that way. There's danger. Let's bring you into this sanitary safe place and mm-hmm. then scalpel you, like cut you up to bring life into the world. That's what we do now. And the amount of cesareans that happen in the United States 
far outweigh the rest of the world. Like there is a very evident pipeline that's in place in the United States that's not there in the rest of the world. And then we start wondering why do we have all of these other issues that crop up medically in the U.S. that aren't really present in the rest of the world and the numbers that they are here. Could it possibly be that we're starting life <laughs> on the wrong foot? But, mm-hmm. and, and I also don't want to shame anyone who right. didn't know. Like, like you said, you didn't know. We, I didn't know for years for, until I was 30, 31, what was happening in my body. There's, this is not to blame any of us, but this is to shed light on like, but the information's out there. And now, now we have a responsibility to ourselves, to our daughters, to our sons, to, to share what, what we found out and what's true. So how did, how did you go from experiencing the business of birth and, and then shifting that to become a doula and, um, a, you know, a birth worker? How, what, what was, what was it about your experience that propelled you in that direction? Hmm. Yes. Um, I just want to comment on everything that you say that you just said, and it's so on point, exactly everything that you said. And thank you for sharing that with your listeners. Um, you know, and for me, it was mostly realizing that I had been a victim of the system of the medical system, right. And how it works and how it really is lined up to work against us, you know, and it is a business and coming to that realization that it wasn't my fault that, you know, I think when you experience, um, birth trauma, you're kind of left with like, what could I have done different? You know, um, a lot of times I was really hard on myself, like, Oh, I should have taken that private birth education class. You know, I should have done this. I should have done that. And it was a lot of like healing and being just, gentle with myself and humble with myself, you know, forgiving myself for not knowing those things and for not doing the work, right? Quote unquote, because I didn't even know there was a need for it. You know, like we were just talking about how shedding light on the birth control, shedding light on, you know, how birth is controlled in this system that we live in, in the United States, we are kept in the dark. You know, there is so many dark spaces that women are just kind of just going with the flow, you know? And, you know, for me, it was kind of like snapping out of that and like stop going with the flow and like just doing my own research, finding out my own answers. And it really helped define me, not just as a birth worker, but as a woman, you know, that transition itself. Um, And, you know, sometimes I look at my birth experience as, even though it wasn't what I expected, it did have a very positive impact in my life because it caused that shift in me to kind of wake up and realize what is truly happening and how are women being treated, specifically women of color, you know? And I became very passionate about being a voice for the Latino community, for the BIPOC community, you know, because we are targeted most, you know? And a lot of us, you know, depending on, where we grew up, you know, because of like societal, societal status, you know, like economic wise, you know, you grow up like just, I don't know, just thinking like the, the doctors are in authority, right? And they just have like this voice that's over, over all of us. And, you know, just kind of coming to the realization that that isn't true, you know, and finding my own voice. So, you know, going back to what I was saying, it turned into a positive experience because it helped me find my voice for other women, for my community, and it helped me find my own voice as well. I think if it would have gone the way that I initially thought it was going to go, the straightforward, you know, um, vaginal delivery with the possibility of an epidural, I wouldn't be where I am today. You know, I would probably still um, believe that that's the way birth is, right? Like just going to the hospital, getting an epidural, having a vaginal delivery. But so many of us don't realize that that vaginal birth still is so medicalized, you know, and it's 
still stripping us from so much power as women. And, you know, witnessing other women as a as birth worker nowadays, having the the birth of that they desire in their own power is so rewarding and so ecstatic to see women, you know, be able to birth that way and to get that full experience, that rite of passage that unfortunately when it comes to hospital birth, you rarely get that because it's so medicalized. You know, even the vaginal deliveries are highly medicalized. And you're lucky if you're able to get into a hospital and have a straightforward, you know, physiological birth. Um, so, yeah, kind of rambled off a bit there, but. <laughs> no, no, that was, that was perfect. Um, so I'm curious as to what, um, what you've seen. Okay. Let me, let me set up. Let me set this up a different way. I think the media um, and the media and just the general narrative that we hear from other women, because the majority of births in the U.S. are done in a hospital, is mm-hmm. um, it's going to hurt immensely. Mm-hmm. There's it's it's painted in a scary light, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And I don't think there's enough conversation around what birth can be like mm-hmm. um, and what the experience can feel like. So um, what have you seen now working, doing births at home um, and in a less medicalized approach? What's the experience like for mama? What is it? I've, I've heard, I don't know if all of our listeners have heard, birth can be orgasmic. Um, Mm -hmm. so what's, what are, what are some of the other experiences of birth that we don't often hear about? Hmm. Yeah. Um, I think the most experiences that we don't hear about is women talking about birth as it being like a powerful experience, you know? Um, and to be connected to that, like, rite of passage. Um, you know, when you when you see a woman who has an unmedicalized birth or un, unmedicated birth, you know, when you witness that power, you can really see a woman surrendering to, to what it is, right? To what birth is. We There are so many fears around birth, and that's exactly why women opt for the for the epidural, why women opt for the other medicalized um, parts of birth, right? Um, because there is so much fear. But when you prepare for birth, when women who are looking to birth naturally, you know, to have a normal birth, there's a lot of work that they do prior in order to be able to get to that part, to be able to release of those fears that probably don't belong to them. So to see that women have that transformation you know, and I think that's the best way to describe it. It's transformative, you know, to see those women go in from the maiden and coming out as the mother at the end and going to labor land, you know, and really getting to that place where they have to go and get their baby soul and bring it back with them and welcome that baby into Earth's side. And yeah, that's exactly what I witnessed. I don't know. It's kind of hard to put it into words to witness like the sacredness and the magic of that space and what takes place, right? And it's not to say that one birth is better than the other because it's not like, you know, I think there's this big like misunderstanding also that birth is a competition and that there's only one right way to do it. No, it's about informing women so they can have the experience that they deserve, right? And also to... Um, also to give place to the doctors when they are needed, right? Because birth, most of the time, I want to say 99% of the time, 98% of the time, it's physiological. It works the way it was designed to work. Does the rare emergency happen here and there? Of course. You know, do we need the presence of doctors that 
are hospitals necessary then? Of course they are. You know, it's not about, you know, shaming the cesarean or yes, the cesarean, you know, shaming that intervention. Sometimes it is necessary, but the rates of the, the rate of the cesarean in the United States just shows that there are too many unnecessary cesareans happening. You know, let's leave that, that belly birth for a real emergency. So, yeah. You said so much there that was just <laughs> really, really powerful. So what, what are some of the ways that you encourage the mamas that you work with to prepare if they wanting to have a natural birth um, without, mm. without medication? Um, and they want to have a vaginal delivery. What what are some of the things that you recommend to them, and how early in pregnancy should they start, or or is it before pregnancy that they should mm. start? Yes, I want to. I would I would agree to say it's even before. You know, when you are in your um, years of conception, you know, when your fertility years, and you are thinking of eventually conceiving, you should definitely start reading. Start by reading. Start by reading. There are so many birth books out there that are just phenomenal and amazing, and they can truly shed light on the difference between birth environments and birth experiences. Um, once I meet a mother and she is already pregnant and looking for doula support, you know, I would hope that it's early on because it gives us a bigger time window to work with. Um, but I have worked with women in shorter time windows, you know, like closer to delivery day. And that's fine, too. The fact that you're out there looking for support says a lot already. Um, but my biggest one would be to nourish yourself and not just nourish yourself, you know, with food, but nourish your heart, nourish your mind, nourish your soul. And of course, you definitely want some good nutrition, you know, because you are growing a baby. Your uterus is the strongest muscle in your body, and you need to support that muscle. And, you know, you nourish yourself, your heart with surrounding yourself by people who love and who trust your decisions, right? And also, I encourage mothers to really follow their instincts, you know, to tap into that inner wisdom. Um, a lot of us are just so um, used to outsourcing for everything. Right. And pregnancy, it's literally a time where your intuition increases to the max. You know, it's a time where, you know, the, the veil is thin and it's a moment to really look into yourself and surrender to that wisdom that, you know, I think all women or mostly all women, when they are expecting they all are envisioning that vaginal natural delivery, you know, and then we start thinking about pain. What if, you know, and then that's when the whole, um, when the whole, like everything just kind of the domino effect happens, right? You can go down that rabbit hole where you are outsourcing because you're afraid of these things, but it's kind of just like staring those fears, staring those thoughts in the face and going into them, diving into them and, Asking yourself, why do I feel like this? You know, does this belong to me? Is this something that I have been taught? You know, and yeah, just tapping in with yourself. So those are my biggest encouragements for when surrendering to the process, tapping in with yourself and nourish yourself in every single way. You know, we are in a society where we are so disconnected from ourselves, from Gaia, Mother Earth, you know, so reconnect with her as well. She holds us while we are holding life inside of us. She, yes, she does. Yes, she <laughs> does. Um, what about any, any herbs, any teas, mm -hmm. um, any stretching perineum massage? Mm -hmm. Like how early... How early can we start using these? Mm -hmm. And what's what are some of your favorites? Hmm. So one thing I forgot to mention earlier is looking for the correct provider. That's a really important one, right? If you have all these 
birth, like quote unquote plans, you know, or just the way that you want your birth to go, you have to find the provider that is in the same alignment with your vision. Because if that provider is not in alignment with your vision, and that can be an obstetrician or that can even be a midwife, right? Um, so looking at what your birth birth vision really, what you really want it to be and finding the provider that really al- truly aligns with it and is going to allow you to be the one in power who is truly going to support you to the point that if there is like a, a risk or an emergency, they're able to guide you, you know, so you can make that decision. Um, it's more about finding a provider who gives true informed consent, you know, and true support. Um, going back to the question that you asked about the um, herbs. Yes, herbs are so good when you are, I mean, herbs are good in general, right? But when you are expecting, you know, nettle is such a great herb. You know, it really is nourishing. Um, also boosts iron, which women need really good quality of blood when they're expecting, right? So iron is definitely great to to take care of when you're pregnant, to support, I should say. Um, nettle's a good one. Dandelion is another good one. It helps with circulation. And we have oat straw and lemon balm for just calming the nervous system. And then we also can look at um, red raspberry leaf. And that's a good one to help tone the uterus. And that one you can probably start using more towards the end of pregnancy. For some women, it can cause contractions. So it is recommended to use it more towards the end of pregnancy, probably 37 weeks and past that. But it's totally up on your discretion. You know, if you have it and it's not causing you any contractions, any harm, you can start using it earlier on. It's totally up to the woman. <clears throat> there was something else I asked Chloe Herbs and sí, y, um, the like massage, perineum massage, yeah. stretching. So I actually personally I'm not a big fan of the perineum massage stretching. Um, you know, I know it's a lot of talk about it and like a lot of pelvic floor therapists will recommend it. You know, that's another, you know, also aligning ourselves with um other practitioners outside of OBs and midwives that can also support our journey, including doulas, including public core therapies, including some energy work, right? Um, like Reiki specialists. So um, I'm not a big fan of that one because <laughs> I feel like that our bodies are so wise, like just more wiser than we think or that we than we know. And that tissue is going to stretch the way that is meant to without having to stretch it before. And for some women, perineum massages can be really uncomfortable and painful. You know, so why having, why put yourself through that stress, quote unquote, you know, prior to delivery when you should really just kind of embrace more relaxation and being, you know, just that sacred window prior to pregnancy, just really, you know, not putting any pain on yourself, you know, on purpose. For some women, it can be painful. So I'm really not a big fan of it. You know, I don't discourage it if you want to do it. It's, it's your body, the way you want, you know. But I truly believe that your perineum tissue will stretch the way that it's meant to. From the books that I've read, you know, it pretty much all shares the same wisdom that the baby crowns and the baby doesn't crown and then poof comes right out. The baby literally stretches that tissue out. That's why it's called crowning. And that's why in an undisturbed birth, that crowning stage can take a while, you know, because it's literally stretching that skin as much as it needs to. So the tear doesn't happen. And if it does happen, it's very minimal. I love that perspective. That's beautiful. Um, So we, I'm going to throw a little... A little juicy tidbit in here for our listeners that we didn't say at the beginning, but uh, we know each other because you first came to me as a client for lymphatic drainage, and then we did some energy work together to work on your cesarean scar. Mm -hmm. And from there, you decided that you wanted to become a lymphatic drainage artist too, and you became one of my apprentices, and now you're certified and you're seeing clients in that capacity now too. 
And so mm-hmm. um, I'm curious as to how how that part of of your knowledge expansion uh, has changed how how you work with with your birth clients. How is lymphatic drainage um, assisted in in that experience? Oh my God, so, so much, so much. And I just said earlier, you know, how to include other practitioners when you are expecting, right? The body needs so much nourishment, so much support, so much love. And through lymphatic drainage, I get to share that nourishment, that love, and that movement that you need when you are expecting, right? When you, when a woman is expecting um, the fluids in her body, the blood, the lymph, everything multiplies by so much. So getting that to move around, not only is it, you know, good, don't, not only does it feel good, but it's actually really good for the body, right? A lot of women will encounter swelling, edema during pregnancy and getting that lymphatic drainage love is going to just help those things move to help support you. So you're not struggling so much with that edema. So for me, it has changed so much now when I work with clients who want the body work as well, you know, it also is like um, another level of intimacy that I share with them, you know, besides just doing the birth work together. When we do the body work together, sometimes you get a lot of emotional releases. Sometimes it, it just, it's, it's a big combo. And I am so grateful and so glad that I was able to include that in my work. And I've noticed that it's it's made a positive change for, you know, the women that come along and join that want, you know, my support. They're searching for my support. And even in the postpartum period, you know, it helps the body recover. And I've only had good feedback from it. So, yes, it's important for women to include all practitioners that they need, not, you know, your your OB, your midwife is the bare minimum. You need so much more nourishment. Um, and there are so many people out there who are ready to give you this nourishment. So for people who don't know really the difference between a doula and a midwife, right? Maybe they're mm-hmm. only familiar with OBs or maybe they know what a midwife is. What's a doula? What does a doula do that's different than a midwife? Mm-hmm. Good question. So. Um, Big difference here is that a midwife is a medical specialist for birth, right? And I don't even like to use the word medical because there's also this whole big like dilemma between midwives. You know, with the way that a lot of midwives are being trained nowadays is a little more medicalized than what midwifery originally is, right? Or midwifery originally was. Um a midwife, the true definition of a midwife is to be with women, right? And a doula does the same, but a doula doesn't have the same skills a midwife does. A midwife is a trained practitioner who can use her hands if they needed to in assistance for the mother during delivery. A doula doesn't have that knowledge, doesn't have those skills. So a doula is more of an emotional support of, uh, let me share some you know, information with you in regards to that recommendation you may be getting. Here is some, you know, facts that I can share with you. And Adula is like that sister that, you know, always, and I mean, so should the midwife be the same, right? Those sisters that have always existed from, you know, the beginning of our beginning of time, you know, that have supported women throughout birth forever and forever, you know, just that female energy. And most of the time, women that have been through that experience already that can just help normalize so many things, especially for the first time mom, right? And that that's mostly what a doula does. She shares a lot of birth information prior to and even during, you know, just sharing that support. It's more about holding space than anything else when it comes to doula work. Like I said earlier, the midwife just comes with more skills, you know, and if we look at like the original midwives, the traditional midwives, right? Those were also the midwives who held space and stayed there the whole entire labor time. You know, labor can be four hours. Labor can be 12 hours. Labor can be 48 hours. You just, you never know, right? So 
you know, midwives and doulas have always been those women that just have been present in supporting you and loving you during labor. And, you know, if you think of modern birth nowadays, you know, midwives are also assisting births in hospitals. Midwives also, most of the time, if they are a hospital, will show up at the end, you know, and not be present the whole entire process. So, yeah, there's a, I think there's a difference in a lot of, like, so many midwives nowadays, you know? So again, finding the right practitioner, right? It's not just like, I found a midwife, so I'm so much better off than an OB. Okay, you did find a midwife. Now does the the philosophy of this midwife align with yours? Because midwife today has so many titles, if that makes sense. Makes complete sense, yeah. Um, Who else should expecting moms have on their team? So we've got midwife, doula, body workers, energy workers, I'm guessing a lactation consultant. Oh yes. That's a good one. That's a good one. I, I mean, I don't know if they're always necessary prior to, I mean, maybe it's good to have a few names in hand because most of the time, the way you birth is the way you are going to breastfeed and the way you're going to mother and the way that you live life. Right. And if you, most of the time, if you haven't undisturbed birth and baby doesn't have any trauma joining us earthside and makes an easy transition, baby is going to come out ready to latch and eager to do that breast crawl and find mom's nipple, you know, and start nourishing him or herself. Um, But there is some cases, you know, where moms do have a harder time with the initial breastfeeding stage. So they do need some support and Yes, lactation consultants are definitely a good um, practitioner to have, you know, at least the name and then get in touch and afterwards. Um, I'm trying to think of other providers that are good. Chiro, Chiro's. Chiro care is so great when you're expecting, you know, the Webster, Webster technique really helps to just create that space in your pelvis to align everything. Um we are sometimes women have office jobs and they're sitting all day long and they're just saving life doing this. They're not getting enough movement and then their pelvis does need that support. So chiral care is really good. Um, acupuncture is also good if you're open to acupuncture. And yeah, that, those are like my favorite ones, my go-tos. So I, I have... I want to shift the conversation a little bit to hmm, the the myths or the lies, however you want to put it, um, not just around motherhood, but around womanhood and um, femaleness and what it is to be in these bodies and experience cycles not just on a monthly basis but we have different cycles throughout our life right like you were talking about birth moving from maiden to mother and then Mm. eventually you move from mother to crone right to the wise woman to the sage so what what are some of the bigger myths or lies that you've seen um and woken up from as you've grown more into yourself as a woman and now as a mother hmm. oh, that's a really powerful question <laughs> really powerful because uh, I to actually sit down for women to sit down and think about this oof, it's deep um I think we should talk about our menstrual cycle right our menstrual cycle and it also relates to birth so much now that I understand my menstrual cycle a bit more. It took me close to 30 to understand my menstrual cycle. And the biggest myth, the biggest lie around it is that it's an inconvenience. It's that it's a problem and it needs to be turned off. It needs to be <laughs> eliminated, right? And hence the birth control. That is the biggest lie that has been told to women. Our cycles, our menstrual cycle is the most powerful source and that we have, you know? 
And even when we are not no longer bleeding, or even if we do have to encounter a surgical procedure where we are, our parts are removed, you know, we still have that energy, that cycle, and it will carry on forever, you know, and it is our inner wisdom as well. It is our being in touch with that and being connected to it makes a huge difference. And I find that when women have had a connection prior to conceiving and throughout, you know, their pregnancy, they have, it's easier for them to get more in touch with their pregnancy, to get more in touch, to connect more with their pregnancy, to connect more with their bodies, because they already have had that experience connecting with their bodies via their cycles, right? So, yeah, that's definitely one of the biggest ones that I can think of, you know, and for those who don't know a lot about um, female cycles, you know, they're constantly shifting. Our hormones are constantly shifting. Everything is changing for women on a weekly basis. And it's a good thing, you know, and you said earlier how not only monthly cyclically are we shifting, but through our life, you know, we shift, we go from being the little girl to being the maiden, you know, when we do get our periods and from being the mother and then eventually the crone and how all of that also connects to our inner wisdom. So what was, uh, what was the messaging like? Do you remember the experience when you started bleeding when you got your period for the first time. What was what was that like for you? Hmm. It was um a lot of embarrassment around it. Um yeah, embarrassment is what I can really remember. And then just not understanding, you know, I also the moment I got my period, it was like, oh, I can get pregnant now. So like I have to be careful, you know? And just as to like grow up as a as a teenager, like always having that fear around my blood, you know, it's it's unhealthy. <laughs> it's unhealthy, you know, and women deserve so much better. There's there's you know, the the schools are not doing enough with sex sexual education and menstrual cycles. Um and I think for a long time it's also been taboo for mo- you know, I think my mother probably did a better job than her mother did, you know, for a long time, women would just find themselves bleeding and not understand what was happening to them. Um, and I think the magic around that first initial bleed has been lost, right? That's also a rite of passage. And to share the wisdom of what comes along with that um, is so important for us to be having those conversations with you know, young girls who are approximating their bleeding age and for young teens and even young women who still, even older women who still don't understand their cycle, right? With women in general. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I talk about this with clients a lot and I know you and I have talked about it, that there, I used to call it a conspiracy theory, but I don't anymore because it's just so evident (laughs) That it's like, I don't, this is just, these just facts. (laughs) That's just how it is. Which is that we're, we do have, and men have superpowers too, right? This isn't to say Mm -hmm. we don't need men and they don't, they have superpowers and we need theirs. But Mm -hmm. we have some amazing superpowers and they change every week of our cycle. So if you know that and you know how to utilize that, you are unstoppable and so powerful, right? Mm-hmm. But if, if you are half of the population that can't tap into that power and, and maybe you're not tapped into your own power in your own way, you're definitely going to be scared. If you're not tapped into your own power in your own way, you're definitely going to be scared of being overtaken by this power that you don't have access to. Right. So Mm -hmm. you're already in a weakened state. And now how do you, how do you make, make yourself feel strong? You take power 
that these other people have that you can't have and you make them forget that they have it or Mm -hmm. you tell them that it's actually dangerous. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and then we believed it. (laughs) Like we have to take ownership of that part too. Like we believed it. Mm -hmm. And so now what's, what's the messaging? The messaging is um, before you get your period, it's going to be a problem. You have to hide it. It's dirty. There's jokes about it. We call it the curse, right? Like there's all these names that we call it, but the curse is one that gets passed down all the time. So that's what you're going into this beginning of these transitory cycles thinking that this is, this is what I'm setting, like I'm set up for now is ugh, every month. And then as soon as you get your period, exactly what you said, don't get pregnant. Like as soon as you get your period, now, now there's fear because an unintended pregnancy can derail your life and there are all these consequences. And so therefore your body and your burgeoning sexuality is something to fear. And now it's something to be controlled. So we're in our young, our hormone, like, it is a process of going into puberty, right? It doesn't just actually happen overnight and it takes a while for your hormones to figure, figure themselves out. So for a little while it's, it's expected. It is normal for things to be a little chaotic as cycles are starting to settle because it's the first time that it's ever happened. Right. So now you're going through this early part of this process of changing and all of this fear is now, on top of you. And that's, that's what you're walking through and how we know that fear changes your biochemistry. We know that Mm. it changes your hormones. So now Mm. as all of these hormones are changing, now we're adding fear and cortisol and all of this on top of it. And then when you do get pregnant, the, the power of that is, is gone. And it's like, how can I fit this into my schedule? How can I, how can I still go to work? How can I still do like we've, mm. we've, we're completely disconnected from what is actually happening in our, in mm. our lives when this, when, when we bring forth life. So, mm. and then there's not really any support around it. It's, it's packaged like support. It looks like support, but for a lot of moms, they feel completely alone and they feel like, this is usually maybe the first time that they're like, Oh, I think I was lied to. Oh, I think this isn't something about this doesn't add up the way I, it it should be lining up though. So there's no support there. Then when you stop having a period, because now you're going into the, the, the wise sage phase, right. Mm. And you're going through menopause or your postmenopausal. The messaging is now you're not even a woman. Now you don't even count because you can't get pregnant. You can't contribute to society in that way. Um, So this thing that we said was a problem your whole life, actually that was secretly your value and now you don't have it anymore. So now you're sidelined. All of it, all of it is bullshit. All of it is a lie, but it's present in all of the messaging that we receive and the messaging is not just from men. It's not just from women. It's the system. Like it is, mm. this is the system that we're growing up in. And mm-hmm. um, so when I see women breaking out of the system and then not only breaking out of it, but leading other women and guiding other women to do the same, I'm just like, fuck yeah. Like that's the most <laughs> radical thing that you can do, you know, is actually knowing your body. and. And being in the truth of that and leading other people in the truth of that. Um, And so I'm curious, as you've stepped more and more into your power as a woman, what, where do you see like, oh yeah, I was really out of my power when you look Mm. back, like where are the places that you've grown the most in that? Hmm. Yes. Um, there's a train by my house and it's going to be passing right now and it's really loud, so bear with me here. <laughs> okay, 
that one wasn't that bad. Sometimes it's really bad. Um, and I'm sorry, just the last part of the question again. So um, how has coming more and more into your own power as a woman, when you reflect on, on where you used to be, like where have mm. you grown the most? Where were you maybe not in your power before? Mm. Absolutely. So I can definitely my childbirth experience. That is probably the first time I came to the realization that there was no power on that, right? I had no power there. And I gave my power away, you know, and it was because I grew up giving my power away and not even knowing it, right? And also, I didn't have a good relationship with my own cycle, with myself, you know, and you said something so powerful earlier, how women can feel isolated when they're pregnancy or when they're in early postpartum and how, how do I fit this into my schedule? And it is so true when you are disconnected from what is truly happening to you. And I lived that experience, right? Not to say that, you know, I didn't enjoy my pregnancy or didn't connect to it, but a bigger part of it did, it was almost like, um, like there was a curtain, you know, and it was just covering this other side of how much more deeper this experience truly is. And, and it all comes down to that, to not realizing that you do have this power, right? And as a woman, our, our biggest power is just knowing ourselves, knowing ourselves on every level. And if you know if you know yourself and you're connected with yourself i can almost guarantee you that you will have a more meaningful pregnancy experience a more meaningful birth experience a more meaningful motherhood experience it is like a domino effect you know um so for me it was definitely when i was when i had my baby that i realized that i had no power in that and I took my power back, you know, and I did that by educating myself. I did that around the same time, right after, that's when I decided to not go back on birth control, right? And I took that power back when I said, no, no more. I don't want to feel the way I feel with those nasty pills or I was in the patch, I think, Um, you know, no more of that and educating myself in that, you know, and how do I, how do I um, take how do I do the work, right? Because it is, how do I take responsibility for this, right? How do I take responsibility for understanding my body, for understanding my cycle, for understanding me and understanding what I have to do? You know, um, I'm trying to collect my thoughts here. But um, yeah, you know, those were the two experiences that I can say I took my power back and it has just, led me on this road of the more I you know, feel into that, the more powerful I feel because I'm just so confident with who I am as a woman, you know, and it has shifted so much Chloe in my life, like so, so much, you know, even, and you know, this is a little off track from the question you asked, but you, you, we were talking about, you know, birth control. And then we were talking about like, knowing our our cycles and being connected to it, you know, there's also this piece where we expect women (laughs) to be shut down for 10, 15 years by birth control, right? Have completely disconnected from their bodies. And then we expect them to go off birth control and fall pregnant right away. And if you don't, don't worry, we have another huge treatment for you now. Let's look into the world of IVF and let's look into the world of more medicalization. And then we expect them to have these natural deliveries or they expect themselves to have a natural delivery, you know, and then we expect them to have a great postpartum experience, but we don't see how one thing, you know, really throws off the other. So yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, it's a really, it's a really good point. I was, um, I, I just interviewed Dr. Jolene Brighton. She's going to be on the season too. And um, she was saying that she's, you know, she's speaking with her peers who are in their late forties, right? Mid to late forties. And some of them are just now discovering what their cycles are actually like unmedicated. And, and now it's like, I'm a, I'm going to lose it soon. So I just figured it out and I can't get that time back. Like I, Mm. all those years that I wasn't understanding what my body could be doing or what wanted to be doing. Now I only have a small window left to experience it this way before it starts changing again. Mm. And, um, that really landed for me. It's like, you can't, we we don't get that time back. And Mm. something you said, you were saying about how you had to take responsibility for yourself and to, for doing the work to, to educate yourself. Right. And Mm -hmm. I've been this past year working uh, with the idea of replacing the word responsibility for myself with taking care of. Cause I feel like Mm. it takes a a little bit of the charge that I can sometimes feel (laughs) with the word responsibility. Mm. Um, it, it takes a little bit of that out to reframe it as to taking care of. And mm. I think that's a really, it's a really feminine way of looking at healing too, right? Like I'm taking care of educating myself. I'm taking care of me. Like I am taking care of me. I'm nourishing mm. me, taking care. Like there's, there's power in, in care, right? Like there, our power doesn't have to be the same as, a man's power, our power doesn't have to be the same as we've been told that it has to be. Our our power can be exploratory. Our power can be curious. Our power can be nourishing. Like all of those mm-hmm. ways that we take care of other people and yeah. other situations in our life, we can take care of ourselves that same way. And that includes educating ourselves and and then mm-hmm. living in the truth of what we learn. And I'm just so grateful to have you in my circle and to be have you as someone that I can I can share these conversations with and learn from. And um yeah, I I I hope that our listeners have this community for themselves too. And if you don't, it's what you do now because you're part of the beautiful community so we get to have these conversations with each other yes i love that i'm going to start using that taking care of yourself nourishing yourself right it definitely language matters and it the way that we use it can definitely impact a lot so thank you for sharing that with me Chloe. um i i will talk to, oh before i let you go duh how can how can people find you to work with you if they want to book a session for lymphatic drainage? <laughs> I mean, they can actually find you through the Beam and Flow website. Um, all of my apprentices are on there now. Uh, everyone who's certified with me, you can find on the Beam and Flow website under who we are. But aside from that, where can they find where can they, where can they talk to you? Where can they find you? Plug yourself. Yes. Yes, the best place to find me to get in contact with me, reach out to me. It would be on Instagram at Ladula Bodyworker. Beautiful. Um, and so they can reach out to you for doula work, for lymphatic drainage, um, and eventually for midwifery, right? Yes, I am currently a traditional midwifery student. I started a program earlier this year, and I am a baby, 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 early midwife student, and it's a, it's going to be a long road, and I'm here for it, and I am so grateful and happy to be on this road and to continue my path, this calling. I am so, I'm so excited to see where, how it unfolds for you. Thanks so much for being here. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. It was so lovely to be on your platform. I am definitely one of your 
fans. I listen to all the episodes. I love it. So please, everyone out there listening, you're totally worth it. Queridas, we made it to one of my favorite parts of each episode, the moment of flow. I love poetry. I love words and rhythm and how when you mix the two, you get into a, a beautiful state of flow. And so I want to leave you with that at the end of each episode. So here it is, your moment of flow. Feel and flow. I feel angry. Flow with anger and send love and light. I feel beautiful, flow with beauty, and send love and light. I feel sad, flow with sadness, and send love and light. I feel joyous, flow with joy, and send love and light. I feel weary, flow with weariness, and send love and light. I feel hopeful, flow with hope, and send love and light. I feel dark, flow with darkness, and send love and light. I feel sensual, flow with sensuality, and send love and light. I feel lonely flow with loneliness, and send love and light. I feel ecstatic, flow with ecstasy, and send love and light. I feel confused, flow with confusion, and send love and light. I feel sure, flow with surety, and send love and light. I feel alive, flow with life, and send love and light.